Well, I am excited about this new series. I saw several of you out in the pavilion. I want to thank those of you who are watching online for tuning in um, because as we've sung about Jesus, there's nobody I'd rather sing about at church on Sunday. It was such a powerful set. Both uh, I told everybody in the first service I was going to stay for the second service just to sing, that, sing those songs again. Um, so if you'll open up your outline, your worship guide there, you'll notice there's an outline. I want you to fill out several things um, today. As we start this new series called This Is Jesus, we just finished the series called The Best Question Ever, didn't we? And we said that the greatest question that we can ask ourselves in life so that we will have fewer regrets moving forward in life is what is the wise thing to do? Today's series brings up another important question. Um, it's even more important than the last question, what is the wise thing to do? Only this time it is not a question for us to ask. It's a question for us to answer. Who is Jesus? And our goal for this series is that we're going to come face to face with the real Jesus. Jesus turned the world upside down, didn't he? He literally split the calendar in half between B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Latin for the year of our Lord. We are attracted to him. We are fascinated by him. We, we want to understand who he is. I don't believe there's anything more important in life than for you to know who Jesus is. Wherever you are on your faith walk right now, I hope this series helps you come face to face with the real Jesus so that you can know him, not just know about him, but that you can know him in a real way like never before. In the book of Matthew, which we're going to be looking at for our key verses today, Jesus has this fascinating encounter with the disciples. Now, at this point, the disciples have been with Jesus for several years. Probably uh, this is his third year with the disciples by the time they have this conversation. So they have spent time with him. They've had long discussions with him. They have heard him teach. They have seen him perform miracles. They have been in huge storms with Jesus. They have been kicked out of towns with Jesus. They've spent all this time with them, yet it seems that some of the disciples, if not all the disciples, are still a little bit confused about who Jesus really is. They know about Jesus. They've seen Jesus do a lot of things, but they don't fully know who Jesus is at this point, not yet. By the way, this is probably exactly where many of us are. Some of us right now, we're, we're at different levels in our levels of knowing Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you've been a Christian um, for a while and you go to church or you tune in occasionally, but you know in your heart that you really don't know Jesus that well. You know him on a surface level. You may even know a lot about him. But there's something that's missing. You hear people talk about, or if you're new to church, you especially hear people talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus. And that, that's kind of a mystery. You kind of know the lingo and the Christian jargon, but how, how, what are you talking about? How do I have a personal relationship with Jesus? You know that maybe 
you feel like your faith, even though you go to church regularly, your faith might seem a little superficial and you're on that superficial level when it comes to knowing, really knowing what it means about who is this Jesus guy. For others of you, maybe you've, you're here today and you know some things about Jesus, but you're kind of new and um, you don't really know him. You've never even attempted to have a personal relationship with him. You've never experienced Jesus in a personal or a real way. This is kind of where the disciples were. They're at different levels of knowing Jesus. And Jesus comes up to the disciples on the day that we're going to read about in this, uh, in this scripture passage of Matthew 16. And he says, hey, I got a question for you. He says to his disciples, I got a question for you. Who do the people say that I am? All the people that are coming to hear me teach, all the people that are showing up to be fed or to watch the miracles... The people who are following us from town to town, who do people say that I am? And the disciples have these answers. They say, well, some people say you're Moses, that you've come back from the dead. Uh, other people say that you're Elijah, that, you know, he promised that he would come back and that you're Elijah, come back in the flesh. And other people say that you're a great prophet. And they have these answers. And then in this story, Jesus kind of, he kind of cuts right to, right through to the heart of the matter. And he asks the disciples the real question, the question that really matters. He says to his disciples what I believe is the most important question in life, even more important than the question that we're supposed to ask and I have any regrets in life, what is the wise thing? This question is more important not for us to ask, but for us to answer. And we have to wrestle with this answer for ourselves. Here's the question that Jesus asks his disciples. And by the way, this is going to be the question that's the foundation for this entire teaching series. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus, it says, then, He then asked them, But who do you say I am? He said, What did the other people say? What do people say that who do people say that I am? And they give him all these answers. And he says, But who do you say that I am? And Jesus is basically saying, Look, it doesn't really matter what everybody else says. It doesn't really matter. What they say, or who that they say that I am, what matters is who do you say that I am. You know, you have friends like that in life. You have friends in your life that they know about Jesus, and they at least have an opinion about Jesus. Now, they may not, they may not go to church all, all the time. They may not have even read their Bible, but they got an opinion about Jesus. All of your Facebook friends have an opinion. They will tell you, well, I think of Jesus, and well, I look at Jesus like everybody has an opinion about Jesus. And they'll try to tell you, but their opinions don't matter. Really, my opinion doesn't even matter. Or your grandma's opinion doesn't even matter. But what matters is, what Jesus really cares about today is the question that he would be asking you today, and he will ask you someday, is, but who do you say that I am? As we begin to, this series, over the next few weeks, I want you to wrestle with this question personally. If you want to meet the real Jesus, if you want to experience the real Jesus in your life, then you have to wrestle with the answer to this question for yourself. Because I believe it's the most important question that you'll ever be asked in life. And I want you to see how the conversation with between Jesus and the disciples ended, because I want you to un understand that Jesus gives the answer. He, he says, when Peter says the answer, Jesus tells him, you're right. 
I want you to see how Jesus allowed himself to be identified. Because remember, Jesus says, who do people say that I am? They start rattling off these answers. He says, but who do you say that I am? And then, of course, I think all the disciples, because he says it to all of them there, I think they all are kind of cutting their eyes over to Peter, because Peter's the one who usually opens his mouth before everybody else does, doesn't he? If you know anything about Peter, Peter, Peter's the impetuous one. He's the, he's the one, ooh, ooh, he's ready to answer the question before the question is even finished. He's blurting out the answer. And we pick on Peter a lot because his personality is such. But Peter, he can't wait to answer. He blurts out before anybody else. Before Jesus even hardly finishes the sentence, Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Peter was right. And we know that Peter was right because of how Jesus responds to him. In verse 16 and 17, Simon Peter answered, You're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And look what Jesus replies. Jesus replies and he says, You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Peter says, Jesus, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, you are blessed. That's right, Peter. You didn't come up with this on your own. Nobody told you that. It was God, it was my Father in heaven who has revealed that to you. Now, if you have grown up in church all your life and you hear Peter say, you are the Messiah, thou art the Messiah, the Son of the living God, you're like, that is a crescendo, that is a, that is a marked place in the journey, in the mission of Jesus. But if you're kind of new to church or maybe your attendance at church, you didn't grow up in church, you've got to ask yourself, but what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus is the Messiah? I mean, we've all heard the word Messiah. There's a Handel wrote a, you know, wrote, wrote a whole musical, you know. But what is Messiah? What does that mean? I want to give you just a quick definition. When it says that Jesus is called the Messiah, there's several things I want you to jot down because the word Messiah is a deeply Jewish word full of rich and powerful meaning. The first thing I want you to write down is that Messiah comes from the Hebrew word meaning anointed one. Will you write down anointed one? In those days, when someone was anointed, it means that they had been chosen for holy office. And a priest would anoint with oil. Um, they, a priest would be anointed with oil and, and they would pour oil over them to symbolize that they were Chosen by God as the person for that particular position. The Jewish term Messiah in the Hebrew referred to a king Messiah. A king, the, the king Messiah. Messiah was the anointed one, the chosen one of God, who they were looking for to come into the world to right all the wrongs. That he would bring a new age of justice and peace he would bring God's kingdom to the Jewish people. And they were waiting for this Messiah for literally for centuries, for hundreds of years. Now, in the New Testament, when we see the word Messiah, the word for Messiah in the Greek, which is what the New Testament was written in, is the word Christos. It's easy to spell. It's C-H-R-I-S-T with an O-S. It's Christ with an O-S at the end of it. We see the word Messiah translated as Christos 
in the New Testament whenever we see the name Jesus Christ. It's written, Christ is written, Christos. Now, let me just say, because I know we have people who attend our church who tune in online that maybe you didn't grow up in church your whole life. And I've met lots of people who didn't realize that Christ is not Jesus' last name. In other words, it wasn't, his dad wasn't Joseph Christ married to Mary Christ, and they had a boy, baby boy, and they named him Jesus Christ. And oh, by the way, Jesus' middle initial is not H. Okay, so I don't know where Jesus H. Christ comes from. Um, I've had people tell me before, oh, no, no, Pastor Jerry, you know, my grandma said that, that was, his name was Holy, Jesus, Holy Christ, and that's not his, that's, that's not, it wasn't on Jesus' birth certificate. You know, Joseph and Mary Christ had baby Jesus Christ. Um, Christ isn't Jesus' last name. Christ is Jesus' title. And Christ means, in fact, you would really say it, the most accurate way to say it is Jesus the Christ. And what we're saying when we say Jesus Christ or Jesus the Christ is we're saying Jesus the Messiah. That's what we're really saying. The biblical Messiah, third thing I want you to jot down, is the one sent by God to save his people. The one sent by God to save his people. During the time of Jesus in the first century, the Jewish people were looking for a political and a military savior. They were looking for someone who was going to come, is, who was a descendant of King David, their greatest king, who was going to come and establish his kingdom and be king and unite the 12 tribes of Israel and kick out the oppressive Roman Empire. That's what they were hoping for, longing for, praying for, that they were going to reestablish the great nation of Israel. But God, God, you see, he was doing something bigger than that. God sent into the world a different kind of Messiah, a much greater kind of Savior. And that leads to our final point, that Jesus came to save us from our sins. Will you fill this in? As, a Messiah, as Messiah, Jesus came to save us from our sins. So as Christians... We believe that the Messiah didn't come as a great military or political leader that was going to throw, overthrow the Roman government and set up a new kingdom. We believe that the Messiah, his mission was far greater than that. We believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is the Son of God, that he is actually God himself who came in humility as the ultimate and perfect sacrifice for our sins. And we believe that all of the prophecies, hundreds of prophecies, we believe that all of the prophecies of the Old Testament about the Messiah are fulfilled in the mission and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. And that, that's a much more significant Messiah than just coming to set up a Jewish kingdom because he came to allow, the, he came to give his life for the sins of the entire world to allow us to be reconciled with God. That the sins that were over, that were between us and God, would be reconciled. Jesus gave his life on the cross so that what stood between us and God could could be removed. This is Jesus the Messiah. Now, Peter understands that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the one that God sent to save the world. 
from his sins. But you've got to ask yourselves, especially if you're new to church, or what does that mean? What does it mean when we say that Jesus came to save us from our sins? What does that mean when, when it says that Jesus came to forgive us, to offer us God's forgiveness for our sins? And I want to take a few minutes at the beginning of the series, a few minutes we have left, to talk about what it means that Jesus saves us and what it means that he forgives us of our sins. How, how does he fulfill that role, his role as a Messiah? So I want you to jot down, if you haven't gotten your outline yet, just three things. How do I receive God's forgiveness for my, for my sins? Number one, I admit I need God's forgiveness. That's the first step. The first step of three steps is, number one, I have to admit that I need God's forgiveness. Now, let's be honest, admitting that I need God's help Admitting that I need forgiveness, that's hard for us, isn't it? It goes, it goes entirely against our human nature. But we have to realize that there's always a consequence for our sin. And the consequence for sin is that it always it breaks our relationship. Sin, when you sin against somebody, breaks the relationship that you have with them. My sin breaks my relationship with God, now and forever. Sin is any time that we choose our way over God's way. You know, God created me. God loves me. He has a plan for my life. He says, Jerry, this is my plan for your life. Here's how I want you to live your life. Here's how your plan fits into my word. And I want, here's the way I want you to follow. And sin is when I say, well, God, you know, I hear you. And I know what you want me to do. I know what your word says for me to do. I know what the Bible says, but you know what? I'm going to turn my back, and I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to make my own choices. I, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I'm going to make my own choice. I'm going to be my own God, little G, little G God. And any time I rebel against God's plan, that's, that's called sin. And when I sin, it separates me from God. It, it breaks my relationship with God. Look, we all sin. That's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 3.23. For everyone, circle the word everyone, for everyone has sinned. We all, circle the word all, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. We all sin. Me included. As, a, as your pastor, I sin. We all mess up. Now, some, some churches are under the illusion that the pastor never sins. We don't have that problem around here. Right? Because we know we all fall short. Me included, you included. Because God's standard is perfect. His standard is perfection. And none of us are perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. None of us can even reach that standard. So we all sin. Now, sometimes it's a big, it's a big sin and it becomes public and everybody knows about it. Like, you see someone who commits adultery and, and then it becomes public and it's all over Facebook or it's all over the news. And it's embarrassing or somebody who is caught stealing and embezzling and it becomes a news story and everybody knows and it's embarrassing. Or, or you, you, you tell a lie and, um, and it becomes public. Like, like you know, you, you send an answer to somebody and it's a lie and, and, and you hit send and you thought it was just, you didn't realize it was a reply all, you know. Or, or you, you didn't realize you were in a group chat 
And then when you said it, somebody called you out on it, it becomes an embarrassment because everybody knows about it. Some of those sins are big sins. But there's a lot of sins that that aren't big. They're little, and seemingly nobody knows about them. Nobody finds out about them. They're the things that I do in secret or the things that that I do that I know that God wants me to do something, but I don't do it. I decide I'm not going to do it. Or it's the thoughts that I have. We all sin. Everyone we circle. Whether it's big or a small sin, the consequence for sin is that it always is the same. It's what the Apostle Paul describes in Romans 6.23. He says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Now, when Paul writes that the wages of sin is death, you can circle the word death. When he says death there, he's not talking about physical death. He's talking about spiritual death. He's talking about being separated from God's presence, from God's power, from God's peace and God's purpose in your life, in the here and now. He's also talking about being separated from God for all of eternity, about how your sin can keep you from spending eternity in God's presence in heaven unless you deal with the sin that has you separated that is separating you from God. That's why the Bible says this is such a big, big, big deal. That's why we have to deal with it. Now, fortunately for us, this isn't the end of this verse. I stopped in the middle of the verse, didn't I? In fact, the next word is but. And this is one of the biggest buts in the Bible, if you know what I mean. I've told you before that someday I'm going to do a series called The Big Butts of the Bible. This is the biggest but in the Bible. Because really, if we read this verse the right way, we should read it and say, the wages of sin is death, but it's that big of a but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. That's the, that's the, hmm, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the Messiah. He's God's gift to pay the cost for all of our sins, to overcome the consequences of sin, to overcome the separation that we feel from God. Anytime you feel like God is far away, that he is distant, it's because there's something that's causing, there's something between you that causes them to feel that way. This is how God gives us eternal life, but it begins with this confession that I have to admit. It begins when you're willing to humble yourself and admit that, no, you're not perfect. We're not perfect. That we've rebelled against God. I've said, no, I'm going to reject your way. I'm going to do it my way. That we have fallen short. That we have sinned and will never be perfect. That we need, Can you do that right now? Right where you're sitting, right where you're watching, wherever you are on your faith journey, can you admit that you need God? That you've sinned? That we all have sinned? That, that you've fallen short and that you need forgiveness? And until you do... Your sin is going to always be between you and God. And you'll never be right with God, even if you're already a Christian. Even if you committed your life to Christ and you accepted and put your faith in Christ years ago. But maybe in life recently, maybe you you know, I mean, you think, hey, I'm going to heaven someday, but... But you haven't been experiencing his, his presence and, and his power and his purpose for your life. And even more than that, if you've never said yes to Jesus, then sin will keep you out of heaven. It's an, it's an eternal consequence 
for you. So the first step to Jesus forgiving my sin is I have to admit that I need forgiveness. But it doesn't end there because there's two more steps. The second step to receiving God's forgiveness, Jesus forgives, is I have to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Will you write that in? I told you what the word Messiah means. That he's the chosen one. That Jesus is the Christ, the one who comes to take away our sins or to pay for our sins. To receive salvation, to receive God's forgiveness and all that it comes with, we have to not just intellectually know that Jesus is the Messiah, but we have to believe it in our heart. That we have to believe in your heart means you put your trust in it. That you just don't know it as fact, but you know it as faith. And you put your trust in, in that. And I must embrace it with all that I am, that Jesus is my personal Savior and Messiah. So I have to believe that Jesus, believe meaning I put my trust in who he says he is. Belief is important because if I don't believe in something, I won't put my trust in something or in someone. And the verse that we all know, even if you've never been or haven't grown up in church, you know John 3.16 says, for, God's, for God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son to everyone that believes in him so, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And then verse 70 says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. He says, everyone who believes in him, that, that Jesus is who he says he is, that Jesus is the Messiah, when he says, yes, Peter, you're right, that they will not perish, but have eternal life. If you want to know who the real Jesus is, this is at the heart of it. Because Jesus came into the world, his number one purpose was to save us from the consequences of our, our sin. Jesus' purpose wasn't to teach, wasn't to heal, wasn't to feed. He did all of those things on his mission. But his purpose for coming was to save us from the consequences of our sins. So Jesus on the cross, he took my sins upon himself, my past sins, my present sins, my future sins that he knows that I'm going to commit, that you probably suspect that I'll still sin. Of course, we're all sinners. We all commit sins. He took the punishment for my past, my present, my future that I deserve so that I could have my relationship with God reconciled and experience eternal life so that I could know God and have a relationship with him. Everyone who believes that Jesus is who he says he is, the Messiah, will not perish but will have eternal life. So let me ask you a very personal question, a question that, that really Jesus wants to ask you and will ask you someday. Who do you really believe that Jesus is? What do you really believe, put your trust trust in, about Jesus today? You need to decide this. You need to wrestle with this. You need to know where you are with that answer. Most important answer you'll ever have. Most, the most important question. And the thing that always bugs me or you know, frustrates me as a pastor, confuses me even, is that people... People know what they believe about a lot of things in life. And people have opinions about a lot of things. Have you figured this out yet? That, that, I mean, for instance, everybody that I know knows they have a, a, an opinion of whether an iPhone is better or an Android is better. Isn't it? I mean, uh, hardly ever meet anybody says, I don't care. Whether a phone's a phone. No, man, everybody's passionate about this. 
Those, those Apple people, they think, oh, no, it's way better. And the Android people, they're even more dogmatic about it than that. My Android can do everything your Apple can do, but you just can't figure it out kind of, kind of a question. And it's not just, it's not just technology politics. You, most people know what they believe about politics. And, boy, are they like, they're dogmatic in those beliefs. And you've already decided and established your beliefs. And you know what you believe. And you know everybody else that doesn't believe what you believe. You know they're wrong. And, and you can see it play out on Facebook that people are opinionated about these things and about so many other things. In fact, people are opinionated about almost everything in life. They have made the decision of what side I am on all these issues. Except Jesus. For some reason, we have a tendency where we won't nail down when it comes to Jesus, we won't nail down what we believe about Jesus, even though it's the most important belief that you'll ever have in this life. So I want to encourage you, even right now, wherever you are, if you're watching online, if you've never believed in your heart that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God's Son, that He died on the cross, that He loves you, so that the sins that you have right now that stand between you and a relationship with God can be wiped away. If you've never believed in Jesus, do that today. Do that in this series. Wrestle with this. Maybe for the first time today. By the way, if, if you're here or you're watching and you already are a Christian, and maybe you do believe or, or you did believe, but maybe you've, you've had some doubts creep in or maybe you, you realize, you know, I haven't been living the Christian life. I, I haven't been living my life with confidence and certainty that I have a a close relationship with Jesus, then during this series, even beginning today, opportunity for you to reaffirm your belief, to recommit your belief in following Him. That's why we're doing this series. Either you can meet the real Jesus for the first time today or in this series, or, or for some of us, you can meet Jesus for the first time again. John 20, verse 31 says, But these are written... So that you may continue to believe. Circle continue to believe. These are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Because isn't it true, I want you to circle that, because isn't it true that there are times in our lives where we need to be in church because our faith needs to be encouraged. Our faith needs to be strengthened. Our faith needs to, we need to be encouraged to continue to believe. Then he, he finishes up by saying that by believing in him, you will have life. By the power of his name, the beautiful name of Jesus that we sang about in that last song. So admit that you need forgiveness, believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Then finally, here's the final step to receiving God's forgiveness. How Jesus forgives you of your sins is I have to confess that Jesus is Lord. Will you write in confess? That's the final step to having your sins forgiven. To confess that Jesus is Lord. Not only do you believe that Jesus is who he says he is. But now what you're doing is saying, hey, not only do I believe in you, Jesus, but I'm going to make you the leader of my life. I'm going to follow you from now on. This is what the Apostle Paul again says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. He says, if you confess, there's that word, circle confess, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't want you to be his fan. He doesn't need any more fans. Jesus wants you to be his follower. He's looking for followers who will make him the leader. He doesn't want you to just like him. He wants you to make him the leader of your life. The word for leader is Lord of your life. He wants to be the decision maker in your life. When I say that Jesus is Lord of my life, I'm saying that he is God. That he's the leader of my life. That he, he gave his life on the cross for my sins so I can trust him to help me make decisions. When I ask that, what is the wise thing to do question, I'm asking him, what's the wise thing for me to do? That's what it means to make Jesus our Lord is by making him our leader. So if you look at the passage, the word I have to circle is confess. I'll show this number three, the one I had to write down. That's important because when you believe in Jesus, then you confess that he is Lord. You don't just keep it to yourself, in other words. It can't be a secret kind of a thing like, I'm a Christ follower, but I don't want anyone to know. Jesus says, no, when you become a Christian, when you follow me, you have to make that public. You have to tell others that you are one of my followers. You have to let them know. Now, let me just show you two important ways to confess that Jesus is Lord. I want you to take a moment. to On the edge of your outline there, you'll notice there's a communication card. That's what we call it. If you'll, if you'll pull that free, and on the top you'll see it says communication card. And then flip it over to the back where there's a bunch of prayer requests and praise reports down there because I want you to do something. If you're making this decision to believe, put your trust in Jesus, then I want you to, to, do, to do something for me so that I can know. I want you to confess that. You're going to let me know and our pastors and our staff know so we can be praying for you. And what I want you to do, if you want to say, you know, I admit, I admit that I need God's forgiveness, and you know what? I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and I confess that Jesus is my Lord, then I want you to write down two words on the line just above where it says, please, praise answers to prayer. So you probably wrote down a prayer, a praise report down there right above that on that last line if you didn't fill up all those prayer requests. I want you to write the words, con, I want you to write the words, confess, I confess and believe. I confess and believe. Now what you're saying is, you know, for the first time ever, I want to become a Christian. I want to be adopted into God's family. I I admit that I need God's forgiveness. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior. And I confess that he is my Lord. So, right, I confess and I believe and let us know. And by, by doing that, we'll be praying for you. Now, maybe you've already done that years ago or months ago even. Maybe you're here and you're already a follower of Jesus. But there's times in our lives where we need to reconfess that Jesus is Lord of our life. My challenge to you, if you're here today, no matter how long it's been that you've been a Christian, maybe you got saved and became a Christian in vacation Bible school when you were a kid or when you were in high school and you were in youth group, or maybe it was when you, know, you were early on in your marriage and your kids came and you came back to church. or However long it's been, 
But maybe you're at a place in your life right now and you're saying, you know, God is working in my life. I see him drawing me. I'm going to rededicate my life or recommit my life to Jesus. Where you reaffirm your commitment to say, you are my Lord. You're not saying it for his benefit. You're saying it for your benefit. And if that's you, then I want you to write the word on that line, recommit. Now, if you already wrote, I confess and believe, but you really already are a Christian, then right above that put, I recommit, R. E-C-O-M-M-I-T. Today I recommit to you, Jesus. You're the Lord, and I'm going to recommit to following you. Most important thing you can do in this series. The other way, or another way for you to confess that Jesus is Lord, is it is important for you to be baptized. Baptism is where we publicly make our profession of faith, our confession of faith. We publicly say, hey, Jesus is my Lord, and we say that to everybody who's there in a public way. Baptism is more than just being dunked underwater. You know, my five-year-old grandson, Roman, is getting to this place where they're starting to understand him and this class over in Power Up um, and over in Sunday School. They're starting to understand they've been through their first vacation Bible school, that Jesus came and died, that God sent Jesus, that Jesus rose from the dead. And he has a good, he has a little friend of his Maya, who just this past week, um, she prayed for God to forgive her of her sins and accept Jesus into her life as her Savior and Lord. And Roman and Mila are very excited for Maya. In fact, Mila puts it this way. Maya chose God. And um, they're excited. Roman puts it this way. She's going in the dunk tank. Um, as only a five-year-old could say. But it's more than just being dunked. Now, we have a baptism next week, and they're going to be out of town, so it'll be another... Uh, it'll be another few months, uh, long enough for Maya to really get a clear understanding of what baptism is. Um, but baptism is more than just being dunked underwater. It's a step of obedience. It's a symbol of, of Christianity that when you go under the water and you come back up, it's a symbol of Jesus' death and burial and his resurrection when he comes up. And it's a symbol of, of our old nature dying and us being a new, a new creation that God says we're a new creation in Christ. And it's a public statement of faith. And I know a lot of Christians who believe in Jesus, but they've never actually officially made Jesus their Lord and been baptized. Either they were, they were kind of too ashamed to do it, or, or maybe it was like, well, I, got, I became a Christian a long time ago, and then I, I got distracted, or I couldn't find the time, or um, I, I was embarrassed, or now it's like it's been a decade, and everybody knows I'm a Christian. If I say, I've never been baptized, and it makes me feel weird. Listen, I just want to encourage you, because it's an important confession of faith, as a believer, that you are baptized after you've committed your life to Christ and accepted God's forgiveness. And if you're making that decision today, or even if you've rededicated your life and never been baptized, don't put off that step of baptism. Um, in fact, every single week on the communication card, you can check on the front right under where your name and rank and serial number is, there's always that blue box there that says, yes, sign me up to be baptized, and you can do that. We even have a Sunday celebrate schedule for next weekend. Um, rain or shine, as long as we have power, um, we'll have a big Sunday celebrate complete with baptism and food trucks and water slides and the whole nine yards. And listen, even if you don't know anybody who's getting baptized, you should come and cheer them on. It might be our biggest baptism of the year. We baptized 16 people after vacation Bible school. I think there's 14 or 15 signed up to be baptized on Sunday. And we have plenty of room for more in Romans. Don't tank, as he puts it. Listen, one day at the end of your life, 
you will have to stand before Jesus. And you will have to answer the same question that Peter was asked almost 2,000 years ago. Who do you say that I am? What will you say? What will be the answer that you give? Will it be what you just wrote in your notes? Hey, I admitted I needed forgiveness and I believed that Jesus was the Messiah and I confessed that he was my Lord. Or will you, will you say something different? Listen, that is not the time to start going, now, wait a minute, what do I think about Jesus? That's not the first time that you need to be con- contemplating your answer as you stand up because it will be too late. That's why you need to be a part of this series every week is we discover who is the real Jesus and what does that mean to me in 2022. Let's take aside all of the religious terms. Let's redefine what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and let's, let's understand who we are as Christians because you've got to figure out what you believe, what you trust in when it comes to this most influential person who has ever lived. And you need to investigate it because in the end, when you get to the final exam, you know, this is going to be on the final. Did you ever, when your professor ever said, hey, this will be on the final, were you like me? Like, hey, I need a piece of paper. Let me write this down. This is going to be on the final. In fact, this is going to be like your whole grade on earth is going to be based on this answer. And at the end, this isn't a history question. When, God, when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? It's not a history question he's asking you. It's an eternity question he's asking you. This is a salvation question he's asking you. And the answer you give when you stand before him that day is going to determine where you spend the rest of eternity. Whether it's come into my kingdom that I have prepared for you in my father's house or many, many mansions that I've prepared for you or... Depart from me, I didn't know you. And you'll either spend your eternity with God in his family as a joint heir with Jesus Christ to all of his riches, or you'll spend your eternity separated from him, all based on this this question that Jesus asks Peter. Who do you say that I am? I hope you will wrestle with and answer that question. I, like Peter, have said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and I am going to follow you and make you my Lord and Savior. Romans 10.13 says, everyone who does that, who calls upon the name of the Lord, will be saved. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Let this just be a time between you and God where you talk to Him. And maybe you're sitting here today, or you're sitting in your living room or in the pavilion today, and... And you're saying, you know, Jerry, I don't even know how to pray. It's just been so long since I've even tried to pray. Listen, it's okay. Prayer is just simply sharing with God what's on your heart or what's in your heart. It's just you talking to him. There's no right way or wrong way to to pray to God. You just in your heart, in your mind, have a conversation with him right now. In fact, let me help you. As we pray... I just want to ask you the question, are you ready to call Jesus your Lord? Are you at a place where you're ready to admit that you need forgiveness and say, I believe, Jesus, you're the Messiah, and I confess that I want to follow you as my Lord? 
And if you're ready to do that, if you want to do that, then today is your day. You just pray a simple prayer in your heart like this and in your mind. And just say, Jesus, today I admit I need forgiveness. Jesus, today I believe that you are the Messiah, the Christ. Jesus, today I confess that you are the Lord of my life. And I'm going to follow you from now on. It's that simple. I admit, I believe, I confess. Now maybe you're here and you already are a follower of Christ. Maybe your faith has really been battered, really been, been tattered, really been, been hurt recently. You've had your doubts or you've fallen away from Jesus Today's your day to just rededicate, to just start fresh. Maybe you need to just make that your prayer. Jesus, today, just say this in your own mind. Jesus, today, I want to recommit myself, my life, to following you. I want to recommit to you as my Lord, as my leader. Maybe you haven't been living like you'd like to. Maybe you've taken his forgiveness for granted and you remember today how much it costs. Go ahead, rededicate your life. Use whatever words you want. As we all pray, Jesus, we don't want to know more about you in this series. We want to know you more. We want to experience you. We want to live for you. Thank you. For giving your life for us. And during this series, help us to know you more, to draw close to you, and to even become more like you as we follow you. As our Savior, as our Messiah, as our Lord. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. It's Maligan. Isn't it great to know that Jesus forgives our sins? That's what the good news of the gospel is all about. And it's news that's too good not to share. Be looking for opportunities this week to share it with someone who doesn't know Jesus. Have a great day. See ya.